0: The Texas legislature has failed to provide property tax relief to Texans in both its 140-day regular session and its first 30-day called special session. And by the time you hear this, they may well be into their second called special session trying to bridge the differences, the gaps between the Texas Senate and the Texas House and the governor of Texas about how to provide this property tax relief. One interesting thing about all this is that conservatives, real conservatives, free market conservatives, are also divided about how to go for- forward. Is it Dan Patrick in the Senate? Is that the best way to go? Or is it Dade Phelan in the House? Is that the best way to go? To help us work through all these issues, I'm really excited this week to have Luke Messias join us for this conversation. Luke also has a podcast here, I'm sure you know, at Texas Scorecard. And while there are a lot of things that Luke and I as conservatives agree on when it comes to property taxes. There are also some things we disagree on. So we're going to talk about that today on episode 136 of the Liberty Cafe. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock and welcome to the Liberty Cafe. It's always a blessing to be part of your lives, weekly lives, just a little bit of it as you listen into the Liberty Cafe and as we join together and seeking out that line between uh, oppression and liberty in the world and identifying that. Because to tell you the truth, uh, most of the people in politics, most of our policymakers aren't very interested in identifying that line because it gets in their way. And so we try to do that a lot here at the Liberty Cafe. And it's really what we're also doing over at Texas Scorecard. And that's Texas Scorecard is a sponsor of the Liberty Cafe. So go over there and find out what you can from them and join in with them and with me in this fight for liberty against oppression. Well, the this is the last day, as we're recording this anyway, this is the last day of the special session that Governor Greg Abbott called Uh, to deal with the issue of property tax relief. The reason he called that special session is because the Texas legislature went through their 140-day regular session from uh, early January to uh, Memorial Day without allocating a penny for property tax relief um, in their budget. They had set aside in the budget Uh, $12.3 billion dollars The number varied throughout the session, but that was the final number that both sides agreed to. But they couldn't agree on how to send that money to the Texas taxpayers. And so they left off there. Abbott called a special session, and that special session will be over by the time you hear this, and they won't have agreed to anything as far as property tax relief, so we'll still be out without property tax relief. Well, that's what we're here to talk about today: is you know where we've been and where we're going on property tax relief. And I'm very excited to have with me as my guest Luke Macias. He's, I'm sure, all of you know who he is. He's uh, also has a podcast here at Texas Scorecard, and has been a longtime um, activist and consultant in the world of Conservative Texas policy and has done a lot of really great things, mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting. I'd like to think I've done some pretty decent things in the in the world of conservative politics as well. So it's kind of interesting that Luke and I are on different sides of the dis- debate, if you will, discussion over the best way to um, deal with property tax relief. It, it's basically broken down. There's the Abbott Phelan side and the the Patrick Senate side. Is, is a good way of breaking those down. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's wrong with me, but I found myself on the Abbott-Felan side. That's a strange place for a conservative like me to be. And um, uh, Luke, on the other hand, is in a much more comfortable place to be. But, you know, there's some disagreements about the best way to get that done. So we're here to talk about that today. But before we get to that, I just thought we'd start off with a place that all, I think, conservatives agree that the Texas legislature did not put near enough money in this in this year of record surpluses and not just the surpluses from the last two years but the extra money they had going forward over the next two years with all that money available they didn't put nearly enough money into the property tax cuts that it looks like we're going to get matter of fact I think they missed a historic chance to make a significant, buy-down of the Texas property taxes. So with all that being said, uh, welcome to the Liberty Cafe, Luke.
1: Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. I think people will appreciate too understanding the nuances of why you have some conservatives on one side or the other on the particular discussion on how to spend the $12.3 billion. I think that'll be helpful.
0: Yeah, I, I think it'll be helpful for me. I mean, we we some of us have conversations here and there back and forth in various different ways, but I think it's good just to sit down and, and talk about it because we're all on the side of liberty and we're all on the side of smaller government. And so the, the way we're, the goals that we all have, I don't think are in question here or difference here, but but how to get there in this particular instance is. So anyway, so before we get to that, though, could you just talk a little bit, Luke, about how uh, I think you believe this, how the legislature uh, sold taxpayers short with the amount of property tax cuts they um, are thinking about providing to us. I think it's really worth pointing out the fact that uh, conservatives, let's say
1: if you were to take a, a conservative group of you, myself, Matt Rinaldi, Don Huffines, a couple other people who care about this issue, who have talked about this issue for a long time, you put us in a room and you say, hey, here's the budget here's the taxpayer, what are you going to do? We'd actually have a lot of agreement on how to take care of those people. And that's uh, an important thing to kind of distinguish within this discussion that I think is getting lost. We would have said, we're coming into this session with record surplus. We have a over $30 billion surplus, which means, hey, we over collected a whole lot of money, right? So traditionally you would turn that around and try to return it as much as possible, not in the form of, sales taxes but in the form of property tax relief and that's really what we've been talking about doing in the conservative movement for a long time we've been talking about hey as sales tax revenues increase you can replace the property tax system and so uh and and TPPF has called for this hey a 90% buy down if you have 90% of the surplus you apply it to property taxes and i know you've been involved with that too, bill so Fundamentally, I think we all agree that the legislature came in and instead of taking a lot of this extra money and saying, hey, we over collected a whole lot of money, let's return it to the taxpayers as much as possible. They ended up spending a lot of it and then they turned around and said, hey, we've got about 12.3 billion left over to give back to them now that we've spent 18 billion. And it's not just the 18 billion because you understand this even better. I mean, it's also the fact that they have projected revenue growth in the next two years. So they were spending more money based on just natural inflation and everything and the extra money and then only leaving $12.3 billion. So that's the biggest loss and where we have a lot of agreement. So now basically you have Abbott, Phelan and Patrick saying, what are we going to do with this $12.3 billion? How best to deliver it back to taxpayers? Um, and that's what brings us into today's discussion.
0: Yeah. I, I love the term you're using extra money. I, I remember a comedy bit by somebody and I can't remember if it was George Carlin or maybe it was uh, Steve Martin. It's been a long time, but you know, uh, but he, I think it was George Carlin. He said, somebody walked up to him and said, Hey buddy, you got any extra money? He said, extra money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I mean, the, the concept of extra money is not something that the average person deals with right uh you know, you know right i mean we have money but we generally have uses for it either it's in the bank and we're saving it for future use or we're spending it on stuff right now and, and this concept of extra money just lying around is uh is I, well i think in one way it's it's kind of symbolic of the brokenness of our system that uh the, the legislature not only gets to spend a lot of money and by the way the the budget that was adopted this session by the Texas legislature was the largest spending increase in Texas history, both from a percentage standpoint and a dollar standpoint. And, but they still have extra money lying around both. There's a, $10 $10 billion plus budget surplus still left over from that. And that doesn't include the rainy day fund, which is, I don't know, it's another 10, 12, 14 billion, something like that. I can't, it, the, the even my mind goes kind of numb on all that stuff. And yep. so this extra money, as you pointed out, is really our money. And mm-hmm. the idea that they just get to keep it and do what they want to with it whether put it off in the bank somewhere in the future or spend it which is what they did with most of it kind of galls I think all all conservatives so that kind of brings us to the point that you that you were discussing what to do with the 12 point the the measly 12 point mm-hmm. three billion dollars that the legislature left over for us so would you kind of if maybe you if you would kind of explain what um, the, the Senate version of this is yep. and then what you've done with that, I'll kind of walk through the Abbott House side.
1: Yep. Well, I think it's worth uh, saying that one of the things that we're likely to see and taxpayers are going to see this. I think this coming week um, that might cause some confusion to enter the minds is that the House is now reverting back to the House side. Um, instead of joining with Abbott. And I think that's because they're not happy with the fact that he didn't hold his ground, right? So you had the original version, which the House said, hey, we want to compress rates. And I'm sure you've explained compression. I've explained compression on my show, but it's essentially an overall spreading out of dollars. And the Senate has that in its plan. So the Senate has said, hey, 70% of the money that we deliver back to taxpayers, we want to deliver in the form of compression. I think that's worth kind of explaining that the House, the Governor and the Senate's version for 70% of the $12.3 billion is identical. It basically says, hey, take this money, spread it out over everyone and equally buy down people's property taxes, write a check to the school districts that then buys down the portion of property taxes that is owed by the hotel down the street, the home, the rental property, the duplex, the apartment, the strip center, the Walmart, the gas station, everybody. And then what the Senate has done is the Senate has said, hey, because that will average out for a homeowner to be about $700. We want to take 30% of the money of the $12.3 billion, and we want to apply it specifically to homesteads. And a homestead is a home that you live in. And so they're saying the current homestead exemption for the state is $40,000, and we want to take that to $100,000. And what this does is it takes a individual homeowner and says, hey, you're not writing that check we are exempting the first $100,000 of your home. And so instead of the average homeowner receiving about a $700, I think is the math, somewhere in the 700s of property tax relief through this plan, they'll receive closer to $1,500 or $1,300, I think is specifically, maybe $1,300. So you go from $700 to $1,300 in relief felt by the average person. And the reason I think, in short, that this is a preferred methodology to spend the $12.3 billion is that I think for you and I, we both agree that property tax... We want property taxes on a path to elimination. And I think that the Senate, the House, and the governor's plan all take $12.3 billion out of a $55 billion bucket. So in short, if your goal is to just you know empty the bucket as soon as possible you're getting $12.3 billion over. My encouragement to everybody has been just make the number higher. Okay. We can squabble over homestead or compression or anything else, but if we make the number higher, if one of these chambers will just go up to 13 billion, a 13 and a half billion, that'd be a great step that I think would change the discussion. But right now they're just arguing over the these little bit of pennies. But I think that in that event, my argument is that you know, when I talk to lawmakers and they, they, they say, hey, guys, people are getting taxed out of their Homes. That is the most often uh, statement. And I've heard so many conservatives go around and say, you rent your home from the government. Texans for Fiscal Responsibility has this clip from Governor Abbott where they say, hey, this is the governor making a pledge. And he did. He said he wanted to get rid of property taxes. And I don't actually believe that the current speaker of the House, that our governor or lieutenant governor want to get rid of property taxes. Okay. And I prefer, I think the lieutenant governor has been much more conservative than the speaker and the governor on a lot of issues. But ultimately, I don't think. Think any of them want to get rid of the property tax system. We do. But what the governor said when he said that is he said, I want to get rid of the MO property tax because you shouldn't have to rent your home from the government. Now, he didn't say, you know, Valero should not have to rent their gas station from the government. And it doesn't mean that we want Valero to rent their gas station from the government, it doesn't mean we want Chick fil A. To rent their uh, their DEI chicken from the government. But it does mean that we want that home ownership is something that we really prize above others. And so all that being said, I think that it is helpful um, in the event that you have this $12.3 billion to take 30% of it and, and focus it in. If it didn't empty the bucket, I think it would be a different discussion, but that's my position.
0: Yeah, that's good. You know, I don't think I've ever heard the, the term DEI chicken used before, but I, but I really like it. You know, it's funny because we the,
1: those stories were coming out about Chick-fil-A and they're doing all these right. you know, diversity, equity and inclusion things. And I'm like, oh, man. And then I pick up a friend of mine uh, for lunch and we leave, we pull out, we pull into Chick-fil-A and he goes, wait, are we supposed to be eating at Chick-fil-A right now? Didn't they just have all this DEI stuff? And then I turned around, there were like eight cars that had already pulled in behind me. So I felt like I was trapped. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? I guess I'm just gonna eat. So that's when I, came. I was like, we're gonna have to eat some DEI chicken today.
0: And he was like, got it. So there well, you go. I, I still shop by DEI products from Amazon too. So I'm, I'm I know I'm an HEB sucker, man. I'm just yeah, telling. You, that's even worse. It's even yeah, worse. But, All right, proud. so let me get back to the property tax. Well, you're right. Uh, so it's very simple. If I'm going to try and explain the, um, the the house version of all this because it's the the simple, at least it started out as you pointed out to be simple process of compression. And, and as you, as you pointed out, but let me just hit it again. Compression is just, let's just say you pay a a dollar of taxes on every hundred dollars of the value of your house. And then the, uh, the Texas legislature puts in, uh, I think the number would, let's just round off the numbers, $10 billion, to spend sends $10 billion more to school districts and tells the school districts, okay, you need to lower your tax rate 10 cents and, or compress your tax rate 10 cents. So the next time you come around and pay your property taxes, you'll be paying 90 cents on the $100 rather than a dollar on the $100. That That's the concept of, of property, uh, tax compression. It, unfortunately though, it, it's, <clears throat> th- there's a lot of problems and uh, this may undercut a little bit about my pitch for compression, but there's a lot of problems with compression uh, the way it's designed today. And this would be true about the house plan and the Senate plan is uh, the biggest one is that it doesn't compress all districts equally because the, mm-hmm. the Texas legislature is scared to death, or at least this is the excuse they use. I don't think they're so really scared, but they're scared that the, if they compress everybody at the same rate, the same time they stare getting closer and closer to the same rate, then the Texas Supreme court will declare that we have a statewide property tax and we can't have a statewide property tax. Uh, in the Texas constitution, only local governments can tax property. And, um, the fact of the matter is, though, that we already have a statewide property tax. Uh, but but I think anyway, that's kind of an excuse. So what happens with compression is that not all districts get the same amount of tax relief. And in fact, it allows for a lot of uh, when your property tax appraisals go up, it allows you to actually pay more taxes sometimes, even though you're getting compression. So that's kind of the the, the good side and the bad side, because the good side is we want to compress, all of us, I think, want to compress the rate from a dollar or whatever it is today to zero. And so I think that's ultimately the first pitch uh, for the compression side is that you take it from a dollar today to 90 tomorrow to 70 the next day, and then to 60, and then you go to zero. Whereas when you talk about uh, the homeowner's exemption, that actually raises the rate. Right, so if you get a if you get a homestead exemption on your house, well, that doesn't mean that uh, you know the, your property taxes are just going to go away. Matter of fact, to get the amount of money that they need to get from your house and other houses, uh, they're going to raise the rates on that. So you actually wind up after the homestead exemption with a higher tax rate than you did before. Not that that can't be da- bought down afterwards, but it's taken us. In the wrong direction. But I think Can I
1: ask a follow-up question on that, Bill? Sure, Just real sure. quick since we're here. So here's what I want to understand. The if you have a compression and rate combination, okay, the overall rate, it doesn't raise the rate of your home or the hotel. Meaning if the hotel gets only compression and you get compression and homestead exemption because you're a homeowner, the school district still has a two and a half percent revenue cap. uh, on the existing property, not on new property, but existing property. This will get us into a little bit of the revenue cap. But they have a revenue (laughs) cap, which means that when all of this appraisal stuff shifts around, they have to basically say, we can only have a 2.5% increase overall. So if that, in some circumstances over the last couple of years, it has forced these school districts to lower that rate, right? Where they used to be able to just kind of keep the rate, even, even if there's no compression, right? If there's a lot of inflation, there's a lot of increase. They still are forced to lower the rate. Now you're going to probably come in here and point out a couple loopholes that exist within the current system that give them the ability to go a little bit beyond that two and a half percent or a lot of bit with the new, uh, you know, with all the new property and stuff like that. But uh, it doesn't force them to raise the rate on your individual home. That's what I was hearing from you. I just wanted to clarify that point.
0: Yeah, well, so if you know if everybody's property values go up, uh, the they can lower the rate and get the same amount of money, right? So I think that's what you're saying there. Yes. But if if you just put, um, but if you lower the value of some houses, which is what an exemption does, then you have to raise the rate to get the same amount of uh, revenue. So that that's that's how the property. Tax homestead exemption actually raises rates, right?
1: Yep. But but uh, that would be just just for the sake of the the listener. That would be essentially if we did a hundred percent homestead exemption, right? Like if we did well
0: any, any homestead exemption, but if you did hundred percent, then. You, you wouldn't have to worry about it, right? Because yeah. you'd be completely, completely yeah. gone. But
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in 100% of the current plan. So if you took $12.3 billion and oh, said, yeah. hey, we're we're making a homestead exemption at $400,000, right? So anybody yeah. with a $400,000 home, they're, they're not paying property taxes anymore. At that point, you would actually likely cause these school districts to go in and have to raise their overall rates because that's what they would have to do to actually collect the same amount of money from all the properties that were still on the tax yeah. roll.
0: Yeah. So no, I, I, I agree with that. So I, I think the bigger flaw with the Senate plan and, and moving to the Homestead Exemption is it it just exacerbates what, what we might call the existing bifurcated system. And, and to, let me put that into English for everybody, is that we have this property tax system where Uh, The legislature, I think, has purposely designed it this way so that you have constituents, different constituents, business and homeowners and agriculture and all different kinds of folks like that. Those are the big groups, um, commercial, residential, and uh, agriculture, wildlife uh, exemptions, where they are all playing off and fighting against each other. They don't have the same interest, right? And I think we saw that this session because businesses don't like paying property taxes either. Uh, But the, obviously the, the biggest business lobbyist in Austin is big business. Mm -hmm. And and so they don't like paying these big property taxes either, but they got theirs this session, right? The the legislature renewed what used to be called chapter Three Thirteen, which allows these big businesses, not your average mom and pop or small businesses. Even, you know, if you're running a business, you know, with, $10 million in revenue, it's going to be harder for you to qualify for these things than if you got a billion dollars in revenue. And so it allows these big businesses to either move into the state or expand their existing operations and get very substantial tax cuts, about 50% tax cut for a 10-year period. That's a lot of money. And And so I think that's what Personally, I think that's kind of what the Senate plan is trying to do. It's it's trying, and the legislature the House is all part of this too. But the Senate plan, I think, feeds into this: is that okay? We bought off big business, and um, and they're not going to bother us for a little while because we've given them their tax cut. Now we'll buy off homeowners, and they won't bother us for a little while because they've gotten their tax cut. And then, and so we can just go along because, as you know, that Dan Patrick just recently. Uh, called uh, the idea of getting rid of school property taxes or any property taxes a fantasy. You know, I, and, and I'm, I don't disagree with you that Dade Phelan doesn't want to do it either. But but I think the Senate plan is feeding into that. They buy off these major constitu- constituencies, big business and homeowners. Then they feel like they have a the little running room for the next however many years that they don't have to deal with this going forward because they've they've paid down bought off the folks they need to buy off.
1: I think that uh, so you're absolutely right that that, you know, Dan Patrick has basically said, I don't see us getting rid of property taxes, period. Um, and then Greg Abbott, my interpretation of Greg Abbott is he's basically like, well, I'm going to tweet every day that we're going to get rid of property taxes, even though I don't really plan on getting rid of it either. If anything, he's telling Dan like, hey, you know you can just tweet it, and it's like you <laughs> believe it. <laughs> Why are you saying you don't believe we're going to get rid of it? And then Dade's sitting there going, well, I'm just going to say I'm going to get rid of it too, even though the three of them I don't think have a plan to do it. Um, but I do admit that it's it's not – it has not been as helpful to have the Lieutenant Governor out there saying, hey, I don't think we're going to get rid of the property tax system. It's not good. I I think that a charitable way of talking about what the homestead exemption does is that it takes certain people off of the tax rolls. Okay. And, and I think there are, these are two legitimate perspectives in all tax policy. And so I'm going to kind of lay it out. Uh, I think this exists within the uh, business franchise tax. It exists within the property tax deal. So essentially. Uh, there's two. I remember a conversation specifically in March with a very conservative elected official in Texas, and he said, well, look, my goal is that anytime you have a tax, you want as many people paying into that tax as possible. That way they all have as much incentive to get rid of the tax. And that is a argument for compression only. Basically saying, hey, keep everybody on the tax rolls, everybody paying that property, even if their property tax is 150 bucks a year you know, because the compression keeps hitting them down, ultimately, they still want to get rid of it. So keep them on as long as possible, keep it as broad as possible, and then all the way to elimination. The other the other argument is to say, hey, anytime you can eliminate the tax for some people, uh, that is a good thing depending on who's getting it eliminated, right? And so I think this is a different perspective, and I think this is uh, more my perspective. I think Chairman Rinaldi, Matt Rinaldi with Texas GOP has also said the same thing. So I oppose the corporate handouts that are basically, let's take all these big corporations that are liberal, leftist, DEI, CRT, crazy. They'll pay for your abortions and they're coming into Texas. I don't want them to not pay property taxes for 10, 15, 20 years. I don't even mind if they pay too high a property tax. But when it comes to the family formation, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that it is unaffordable for many people to buy a home. And I know people who make $80,000 a year that because they live in a certain area that has high home prices, they can't even buy a home and they're renting. And one of the things I've heard is basically saying, hey, well, the compression helps renters and homesteads only help homeowners. But I actually think that we have a travesty in today's society in Texas where people who want to be homeowners can't be homeowners. And and one of the things we need to figure out is do we for the next 14 years fight over compression? only compression or do we start to shave into the homestead exemption increases which then makes home ownership more possible for the average texan and i think that's a generational change in somebody it's a wealth creation tool for most people it's probably their largest single wealth creation tool the largest thing that they'll pass on many people die and the only thing they're passing on to their kids is their home and so i just i look at that and go I don't mind taking some people off of the tax rolls and eliminating the property tax for them on the path to elimination. Same can be said for the business franchise tax. We took up the franchise tax to a million dollars. It's an incredibly cumbersome tax. We want to eliminate it. I'm sure you want to eliminate it. I want to eliminate it. But I think it was a win when we raised the floor to a million dollars. So if your company doesn't bring in a million bucks, you don't pay the franchise tax. That's just it. So it's real easy to look at your revenue and go 800,000 bucks. I am not paying any franchise tax. I don't need to pay anybody to figure it out and all that stuff. And so that is essentially what the homestead exemption is to. If you have a $250,000 house, maybe in the next four years, we could be in a place where you don't pay property taxes and we're compressing the rates and ultimately lowering that bucket. And so that's just kind of my overall perspective on the difference between keeping everybody on and lowering it down or getting some people off the rolls as you're lowering the overall, uh, amount down.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I understand that argument and there's merit to it. (laughs) I think I'd, I'd make two comments on that. One is you're not doing this here, but, but Dan Patrick seems to have made this into a class warfare issue several times where, for instance, he said, um, Their plan, talking about the house of all compression, means that the higher priced house you live in, the more tax relief you get, right? I mean, that is clearly a a class warfare argument. It's the same thing that people talk about uh, why we need a progressive income tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, we we tax the rich more than the poor, right? And so, yep. while you're you're making a, a, I think a solid argument from from the perspective, of, okay, let's let's get some lower taxes on these other people. Patrick's been going the other way around and actually been making a little bit, not big, but class warfare uh, argument against the rich, and and I think that is not helpful to the the discussion. But but even more so than that, um, I think it gets. I'd like to talk about this from the point that. I don't think that homes, a homestead exemption is serious property tax relief, and it doesn't get us down the road for that. And a couple of a couple of things on that. First of all, you pointed to, you know, the the um, the, the franchise tax and how we exempted the the million dollar first million dollars of revenue from that. Yeah. Well, if you if you've noticed, nobody's talking about getting rid of the franchise tax anymore. Yeah. Right. That that is not an issue out there that people are talking about because the ones who were making the most noise about it, the small business folks have been bought off. And so, and the big, and the big companies, they hire all their accountants and they know how to deal with this stuff. And so that's kind of out of the picture at this point. Maybe part of the reason for that is that we've kind of shifted our focus as conservatives from the franchise tax to the property tax. So that's probably part of that as well. But the other thing is that You go back throughout history. This is this would be, I think, the fourth time that the legislature has raised the homestead exemption in the last since 1997, right? If if this this one goes into place, Mm -hmm. and and property taxes have run out of control during that time, they you know they've also done compression a couple of times as well. Uh, which haven't worked out very well either, but yep. uh, but it, it hasn't worked. And a perfect example of this is last last session, 2021, the legislature came in with the um, the most recent compression, which I re- think raised the uh, homestead. I'm sorry, the most recent homestead exemption, which raised the exemption from 25,000 to the current 40,000. Well, and th- that was on school. Property taxes. Well, what happened to school property taxes after the last round of uh, homestead exemption? Well, they went up thirteen percent, five billion dollars, mm. and 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 I th- I think that points to not just the problem with um, after the last round of, of the homestead exemption. It, it's not the problem just with the homestead exemption. It's with everything, and the fact that you know all the numbers that that the Senate is using right now, the House, House two, actually, but the, the Senate numbers aren't real numbers because they're just talking about if everything else stays the same, then you'll get this much of a tax cut, but everything isn't going to stay the same. This The schools are going to compress their rates and then then they're going to raise their taxes again, right? Because they can mm-hmm. do that. The, yeah. the, the cities and the counties and the special purpose districts are all going to raise their taxes again and so i mean it the, the most egregious example of this was back in 2006 when we had the the tax swap they raised the franchise tax and used it to buy down the school tax well they they put 15 billion dollars into buying down school taxes in 2006 the total amount that overall property taxes went down in that in that year 500 million dollars right mm-hmm. and, and so I think the problem, and this may get us to the point where we are back on agreement again with all these things. Uh, so I, I think the, the the flaws in the Senate plan play more into this. But I think the, the ultimate thing is that the legislature has never been serious about giving us real property tax relief. They throw compression at us one session and homestead exemptions at us another session. Yet our property taxes continue to rise and rise and rise. And n- none of these plans are going to solve the problem unless the legislature deals with one simple problem. It's government spending. If they keep, mm-hmm. as long as they keep, this is a secret, nobody's supposed to know this, but if the government keeps increasing spending, they're going to keep increasing your taxes.
1: Mm-hmm. It is uh, it it is a
0: crazy idea. And to your
1: point, uh, I like when you've brought in, I know you've pointed this out several times about how much we collected in new property taxes, because even with our no new revenue rates and other things like that, we're literally at times nibbling around the edges because we're telling these school districts, hey, you can't raise the property tax on your existing property more than two and a half percent when it comes to the total revenue you take away from them. But oh, by the way, any new building in your area, that's a 100% gravy, right? And you go, well, actually, that's not really setting things up well, because the truth is, I mean, there's some of these areas that have increased their property tax income by 10, 12, 13, 15%. And you're going, guys, their budget's booming. It's blowing up while they're supposedly capped, right? Um, And then you've pointed out the fact that, well, they can roll over the cap. So if you only go up 1% one year, you actually go up like 4% 4% the next year, and then you only went up 2.5% for the two years. Again, that's just built-in incentives to say, hey, how much can we bump this? How much maximum dollars can we get? And I do know that most of the cons- fiscal conservatives I know in the chambers, in the House, and the Senate, if they could wave a wand and write the policy, they would hone in that spending even more, um, and, but we just have an overall cultural problem in the legislature as a whole that, that they're going to spend the money. I think my one point I'll make on the relief side is that when the franchise tax floor was created at a million dollars, it did lead to relief. And what I mean is you have Absolutely. businesses that paid the relie- that paid the franchise tax that have never paid the franchise tax again since we created that floor. And Dan Patrick even, even threw out the idea within this negotiation of Dade Phelan, of taking that floor even higher. Um, and so it it is relief um, for the average homeowner. I do understand. I wouldn't, when I say a class warfare thing, I don't want to get into a class warfare of, hey, this one helps rich people more than it helps poor people. I think when we talk about, um, it, it is worth noting that conservatives get into class warfare when they talk about the fact that Hey, I met this single retired woman who said, I can't afford to pay my property taxes. I'm going to have to sell my home. Okay. Uh, that's not class warfare, but those are the people that are having to sell their home. And here's the truth. I understand? I, I'm, you know, Actually, I'm a realtor and we've got a home listed right now, that uh, you know, for a great person in San Antonio, that's listed for $1.5 million. Okay. And their property taxes are ridiculous and they're going to sell their home for $1.5 million. But I'm going to tell you, cause I know this person's situation. Um, they can pay their property taxes. Now that's not to say they should, or that they should be that high. Okay. But they're not the person we're talking about when we're talking about the story of this person who's owned their home and their family for generations for 35 or 50 years has to sell their home. We're actually talking about people who are in the middle class, who are working families, maybe some upper middle class people, right? And you maybe get into there when they go, Hey, I have a family home, but it's 10 acres in this big old house. And I can't afford it, even though I make $120,000 a year. But he, so I don't want to get into the class warfare area, but I think it's worth noting the fact that when we talk about the most egregious victims of property taxes, I do think we are talking about people in the middle class and below. Now I don't, I think we make it harder for people to get into upper middle class as a result of our property tax system. And, and that's not me advocating for just eliminating their taxes and we'll all pay it so they can get up to where we are. I think we have to get rid of Amen. this bucket. It has to empty There's $55 billion. Both plans pay 12.3 out of that. Um, And then we're going to get to next session. And, you know, my hope is that next session we're fighting even more so together because we're going to come back next session, I think, with less of a surplus. And we are going to have to fight tooth and nail to get every penny of that surplus into property tax relief, hopefully in the form of compression. Um, But anyways, what are some of your other thoughts, Bill?
0: Well, I I think we have a good example here of why after me being in, in Texas politics for more than 30 years, we still have growing out of control government. Cause if I can't yep. convince Luke Macias here about the conservative <laughs> position on property taxes, you know, there's no We're way to do that for the folks out there, the liberals out there and the big government guys <laughs> in the Texas legislature. So uh, I, I think I'll just uh, leave your words to be the last ones. Uh, since it's my podcast, I'll, uh, I'll be generous and let you have the last uh, last word on this. I, On the differences, I I will say that, again, I I think that, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, Don Huffines or Texans for Fiscal Responsibility on one end or or Luke Macias and um, Dan um, Rinaldi, Matt Rinaldi on the other side, we're all approaching this. I mean, that's the one thing I think we have going here is that we're sincere about this and we want real property tax relief and we're all up against folks who don't want real property tax relief. Uh, And, uh, you know, ultimately, I I don't think Mm -hmm. and uh, in in the sense of getting rid of property taxes, uh, which was what I consider real property tax relief Mm -hmm. over time. And uh, and and also point out, I think we all think this is true as well, is that it's really simple. Going back to what I just said, it's really simple, not easy, but getting rid of property taxes, school property taxes anyway, is really simple. the, The Texas government restrained spending growth, local governments restrained spending growth. And if you look at our plan at the Huffines Liberty Foundation, you could do that in eight years or less. If they would have Mm -hmm. been serious about the 60 plus billion extra dollars they had this session and committed a significant portion of that to that, they could have done it in five to six years. We could have had school property taxes gone in, in five years or so. And so I think that's what we're all uh, Mm -hmm. fighting for and heading toward. Would you agree?
1: I I think Texans for fiscal responsibility, the Huffines Liberty Foundation are probably the leading voices when it comes to determined entities actually believing and articulating a path to property tax elimination. I think that the Texas Public Policy Foundation, give them credit as well, have come out and put a lot of information out there that say, hey, we do think you can get rid of property taxes, especially the m o property tax to start. If we get to that point, then we can tackle the other local property taxes as well. Um, and I think there's other things that we can be working on during the interim to figure out what are different ways we can get cities and counties onto property tax elimination over the next 10 years. I don't want to wait 10 years and get rid of M&O and then start on cities and counties. I think we should kind of figure out creative tools that we can use to start giving them ways of property tax elimination. Um, but when it comes to the overall perspective, I don't think that anyone's arguing that if you want to know how to get to property tax elimination, you need to look to the Huffines Liberty Foundation, Texas Public Policy Foundation, Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, Bill Peacock, who works um, with Don and works with all those guys. Like these are the people that are that are determined to actually do that. And that's why I've been a longtime advocate of that elimination. I think that the existing window that we're operating in is basically how best to spend this $12.3 billion, which is the nature of this disagreement. And it's not necessarily... Luke and Bill got in a room and came out and said, this is my perfect plan and your perfect plan. We (laughs) live in a political world where we have three of the most powerful politicians, the governor, lieutenant governor and speaker, and they come up with different plans. And then they change their plans. Right. (laughs) So now the House is coming back and saying we have a 7.5 percent revenue cap, but not an appraisal cap. And, you know, you're going to have all these things going from different directions. And then you and I then have to go, oh, what is our position here? What's our position here? So this is the nature of politics. I appreciate the work you're doing and appreciate um, where we're at today. I think this discussion will hopefully be helpful. i look forward to sending it around to people who have asked me the differences and why they see different people on different sides. And hopefully this will be a constructive tool that they can use to understand.
0: Well, and I agree. before we sign off, I will just say um, there is no doubt that the recent uh, plan from the uh, Texas House with the uh, 7.5% personal revenue cap on everything is a joke, right? I mean, we, we've got, we already have to place these 2.5% and the 3.5% caps on general revenue growth. And all of a sudden he's coming around and saying, Dustin Burroughs is coming around saying, oh, well, let's, let's let it go up to 7.5% for individuals. No, that's not the way you do it, uh, Representative Burroughs. If you're serious about this, you, you put teeth into the existing 2.5 and 3.5%. 0.5% mm. caps. And you make those work and that solves the problem. So that'll that'll be the last word on all this. And I think we're all in agreement on that too. So Luke, thank you very much. I think this was informative for me and I hope it was informative for our voters. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it.
0: Or For our listeners. And thanks to all of you for being listeners to the Liberty Cafe and joining us this, this for this conversation. And thanks once again to our sponsor for the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at TexasScorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.